Open the Word of God, please, to John chapter 1, the Gospel of John, the first chapter. We live in a so-called Christian nation. That means that our nation worships Christ. Let's worship Christ in here today, differently than they are with their sunrise services or attempted sunrise services, given our present weather, their Easter egg hunts and all the other things that they have added to the Word of God. I want you to always remember that Jesus didn't rise with the sun. The women got there while it was still dark before the sun rose, and he was long gone. John chapter 1, I have already introduced to you this morning, and I hope it set the stage for how I want to preach this morning. The Lord Jesus Christ is glorious. Amen. Reigning in power and majesty, deserving of all our honor, love, and service. And John is trying to present him that way in the prologue to his gospel, which covers the first 18 verses. Looking at these first 18 verses, follow with me very briefly and quickly, starting at the first part of verse 1. Look at the glory that we can see of Jesus Christ right here in this prologue. The objective of John's gospel is to show us the glory of Christ, that we might believe on him more than we have before. The first clause, the eternal nature of the word. The next clause, The place of the Word in the Trinity. The third clause, the full deity of the Word of God. The second verse, the underived equality of the Word with God. Verse 3, the role of the Word of God as creator of all things. Verse 4, the Word of God, which is the Lord Jesus Christ, as the source of life and light. Verse 5, The depravity of man that cannot and will not see him. Verses 6 through 8. The greatest man ever born of women sent to introduce the Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 9 through 13. The difference that the word of God who gives life for light makes among men. Verse 14. The word incarnate is glorious, full of grace and truth. Verse 15. John himself declared the superiority of Jesus to himself. Verse 16, the bountiful provision of Jesus Christ for his own people. Verse 17, the superiority of Jesus to Moses. And verse 18, Jesus is the display. He is the revelation of the invisible God. All in 18 verses. I want you to love the first 18 verses of John and rejoice in them, memorize them, learn them. It's in germ form, the whole book. And it lifts up the Lord Jesus Christ from eternity to the revelation of God that He is and the salvation that He's provided for us. Do you know the glory of Jesus? By His names. How long could I take? I'm looking at what I have and realizing I shouldn't. But I want to. Do you know the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ by His names? He is our advocate. He is the Almighty. He is the Alpha. He's altogether lovely. He is the Amen. He is the author of eternal salvation. He is the author of our faith. How's that? For A. 
Do you love the Lord Jesus Christ this morning? I know how I started last Lord's Day morning. I'm starting differently this morning. I want you to love the Lord Jesus Christ that you saw, first of all, in Revelation chapter 1. Who, when John fell at his feet as dead, heard the words, Fear not. Right. And comforted him and showed him things no one else had ever seen. And he'll show you things you have never seen. If you look unto him as Mark taught you from Psalm 123. Do you believe that Jesus has the names of the beginning? The bishop of our souls. The blessed and only potentate. The bread of life. Our bridegroom. And the bright and morning star. Do you love him? This is why we're together today. He isn't rising from the dead today. Every day that we worship on on Sundays, the first day of the week, is the Lord's Day. Because it was on that day that our Lord showed Himself alive to His disciples and apostles. Is He your captain? The Bible says He's the captain of our salvation. Do you like a captain in charge of your salvation? Does this captain give orders and things get done? He's the captain of our salvation. He's the chief among 10,000. His name is Christ, the Messiah of the Jews, the consolation of Israel. He is counselor and creator. The Lord Jesus Christ. He's the day star, the desire of all nations, and the door of the sheep. He is Emmanuel. When translated into the New Testament with an E, He's the ensign of the people. He's eternal life, and He is the everlasting Father. We worship Him. He's our Lord. He is a man, and He is these things. He is our brother. But that was a B. We need to go to F. He is faithful. The faithful and true witness. He's the finisher of our faith. He's the first begotten of the dead, the first fruits of them that sleep, the friend of sinners, and a friend closer than a brother. How's that? Thank you, brother, for a couple of weeks ago teaching about God as our friend. He is God blessed forever, God manifest in the flesh, God with us, the good shepherd, the great God and Savior, Titus chapter 2, and the great shepherd, not just the good shepherd. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. How many names do you have? He's harmless, the head of all, heir of all things, our helper, high priest, the holy child Jesus, the horn of salvation in the house of David and our husband. Is He those things to you? He is the I Am, the image of the invisible God. He is Emmanuel in the Old Testament with an I. And He is our intercessor. He is Jehoshua. Joshua. Jesus. Judge of the quick and the dead and the just one. He is the King Eternal. The King Immortal. The King Invisible. The King of Glory. The King of Heaven. The King of Kings. The King of Peace. The King of Righteousness. And the King of Saints. Do you know my King? He is the Lamb of God. The Lamb slain. The last Adam. He is the life. The light. The Lion of the tribe of Judah. The living bread. The Lord. And the Lord of Glory. And the Lord of Lords. All in the Word of God. Do you think it has something to say about Him? Search the Scriptures. For in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. He is the man of sorrows. He is our Master, our Mediator, Messiah the Prince, the Mighty God, and the Morning Star. 
His name is above every name, and he is Jesus the Nazarene from Nazareth. He is the Omega, the last letter of the Greek alphabet, Alpha being the first letter. He is the Omnipotent, the only begotten Son, the only potentate, and the only wise God. He is our Passover, our peace, our physician, the Prince of Peace, and the propitiation for our sins. He is the quickening spirit. Adam was made a living soul. Jesus was made a quickening spirit. Is there a difference? One's a recipient and one's a giver of life. Praise his glorious name. He is our rabbi, our ransom, our redeemer, our resurrection, our righteous judge, our rock, the root of David, and the rose of Sharon. He is the savior of the body, the savior of the world, the shepherd, the son of God, son of man, spiritual rock, our star, our stone, and our sun. The Lord Jesus is a tender plant, the testator of the new covenant, true bread from heaven, the true light, the true vine, and the truth. Amen. He is undefiled, unspeakable gift, and the upholder of all things by the word of his power. He is the vine. He is the way, the well of living waters, the wisdom of God. He is wonderful, and he is the word of God. He is the express image of God's person. He is the yes, the yea, and the amen of God's promises. If you want something for why, then he is the zeal of God for Z. Do you know the Lord Jesus Christ and do you love him this morning? Amen. I'm going to go faster today. I want to get to my favorite verse, John 1.13. Can we get that far? Will you help me get that far? That means if you have questions that you don't think I'm giving you enough detail for, that you'll go look at the 20 pages of outline that we have on the first 9 or 10 verses. Because we have some difficulties that pe- that men have made about these verses, and if you just look at the words and think of them like an Arminian thinks, then you'll have some difficulties. If we look at the context and think reasonably and measure some of those universal expressions by the verb that is in context with them, there's no problem at all. Do you understand that some people say the word all means all, and that's all all means? That's an idiot. Literally. That's a retarded person when it comes to language. Because all doesn't always mean all, and it usually doesn't. The Word of God gives us so many examples of the word all, and the word every, and the word world in very limited senses, and you better remember that when you read the Word of God or you're going to get into serious trouble. In him was life. We have it verse 4. I know I'm retracing a little ground because we want this life. Did you like Revelation chapter 1? I am alive forevermore. I was dead, but I am alive. Very comforting to John to have seen his risen, reigning, and returning Lord Jesus Christ. So right, right now, let's look at that fourth verse. The first three verses explain that the Lord Jesus Christ as the Word of God is eternal, is part of the Trinity, is God, and is underived equality with God. And He created all things. Then it comes to verse 4. And the shift is from Jesus as deity to Jesus as Savior. There's a shift. Because the rest of these verses in the prologue are about Him being our Redeemer and saving us. And being presented through the Gospel preached by John. In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. I'm going to say this a couple of times, and for those of you that want to be students of the Word of God, there are difficulties between verses 2 and 9, 4 and 9. And here we go. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. What was the life, and what was the light, and who were the men? got to ask the questions, and you got to answer them. There's basically two options for this verse about the life and light of men. That the life and the light is mere, mere human reason or conscience that gives general light to everyone that ever makes it past the age of five. Okay? Many commentators go there. Or, it is eternal and vital life that gives spiritual light only to the children of God. How do we make our decision? If we let the words, men, at the end of verse 4, run everything for us, then we have to back up to the light, that it's light that every man gets, And if it's light that every man gets, then it is life that every man gets, because every man gets the life that is the light. And so that's backing up from a word that doesn't have a whole lot of meaning attached to it, and and a whole lot of definition. You know, in verse 9, it's going to say every man. In verse 10, it's going to say the world. Um, In verse... Seven, it's going to say all men. And so because they start with that word, men, all men, every man, then they back up from there. There's another way to approach it. And that is, what is the life and what is the light? And that's going to dictate what men are under consideration. Right. And, and so we make that choice. And we make that choice primarily because of context. What is under consideration here moving forward? When we have John immediately introduced to us in verse 6, what's under consideration? The light of the gospel. And what does it take to believe the light of the gospel? The life of eternal life. The life of regeneration. Vital life. You know that we're going to get to verse 13, don't you? Which we're born. Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. There is a God giving life and power to become the sons of God so that some will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and receive Him. And because these first 18 verses are a prologue, they are not detailed nor definitive. They are just throwing, hurling some ideas out that he's going to elaborate on in 20 and three-quarter chapters that follow these 18 verses. For those reasons, we do what we do. And I am trying to be brief. There are pages explaining how we do that in the outline. But I do not want to ruin the Gospel of John by preaching, it doesn't mean this, and it doesn't mean that, and it doesn't mean this. I want to preach what it does mean. And I want us to rejoice in the positive, simple message of a divine man that came to earth and brought eternal life and gave it to his own who were born again and thus believed on him and received him and were separated from the darkness and depravity of the rest of the world around them. John 1, 1 through 18. That's what I want to give you because... That is what I'm preaching this gospel for. 
I am sorry that Arminians have corrupted your minds. They've corrupted the Word of God long before you were born. They've corrupted the Word of God not only in English, but in other languages as well. It's important to remember that those first 18 verses are a preamble or a prologue to the book. Therefore, there are short statements made there without much elaboration. You know, he introduced John in verses 6 through 8. Look at 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Tell me who the the name of the author, the writer of this book. John. John. How do we know it's not that John? Going farther ahead. You can't tell from the prologue. Listen, if we walk down the street and hand the Gospel of John to someone and they read the title, The Gospel According to St. John, then they read verse 6, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Who should they, who would they, say this John was in verse 6? The Apostle John. How do we know that it's not? Because you've read the Bible too many times, so you're cheat. You know, we're cheaters. I don't want to call you a cheater. We're all cheaters. We've read the Bible too many times. But we really know that it's John the Baptist by just waiting till the prologue's over and getting to verse 19. Seriously. This prologue is very important. You say, did you know that it was this important before you started the Gospel of John? No. Does that shame you or hurt you? Do you know why, do you know why I preach expositorily from time to time? Because I want nearly unlimited time to exhaust the book in front of me. Did I have some ideas before? Oh, yes. I remember Brother Joshua asking me, how much do you have done already? I didn't mean that, sir. I meant that very good question. He was wanting, he was wanting a line drawn in the gospel, like a timeline from chapter 1 to chapter 20. I said, it's not like that at all. It's a percentage of all of it. And I said, it's about 70% of the whole 21 chapters before we get started. And it's the last 30 that I look forward to with all my heart as your pastor. Because I know how the Lord has led me for over 30 years. When I started Hebrews, it wasn't even 70. And I remember him opening up the light of heaven to me in chapters 3 and 4, just getting started. He He knew the love I gave him and the love I had for him and the love that you had for him when I preached Hebrews chapters 1 and 2. But when I got to chapters 3 and 4, he opened heaven and said, come up hither. Because it's what he did in chapters 3 and 4 uh, changes much of the rest of the book. And I'm sharing, I'm sharing that with you as a, as a pastor to his people. Um, I want you to appreciate the first 18 verses, and that's why I'm, I'm using John as an example. If we handed this book to someone, who would they think John was in verse 6? Apostle John. But it could be John Mark. Because John Mark is called John in the Bible. How do we know it's John the Baptist? By getting past the prologue and getting into the details. And we already know the details that this gospel, more than any other gospel, more than all the other three gospels combined, emphasizes that eternal life Regeneration, vital life must be given before there is light and believing on Jesus Christ. No other apostle is concerned about it as much as John is in the gospel and in his first epistle. And because we know that, it helps us read some of these short phrases that are not fully detailed and definitive. And I hope that explanation right there helps you. He briefly introduces John, but he's going to tell us a whole lot about John in verses 15 through 37 of this first chapter and verses 23 through 36 of the third chapter. And we know where we're headed. 
We're headed to these words. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. What men? The children of God. Hoth. The Lord and I know. If you, if you want to pray, if you want to pray, when you get down and say, what do I pray for my pastor? Number one thing, rightly divide the word of truth. Period. Period. Always. Terrifies me. Ruins my life. And it's okay. He's very merciful. Ruins my, I never want to misdivide a single phrase of this book. Especially when it's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ so directly. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. We understand that as the gift of eternal life, regeneration, the gift of vital life that provides the ability for man to see. The light of Jesus Christ, by his gospel shown in the world, verse 5, but the darkness didn't comprehend it. The darkness of this world did not comprehend it. But there were men that did comprehend it. The whole world was not dark. There were men that were waiting for it to arrive. There were men waiting for John. There were men waiting, women waiting for Jesus. There was Anna. There was Simeon. There were others waiting for redemption. They knew the calendar. They knew the prophecies. God had opened their hearts. God had revealed his light to them by giving them life. And we know that because we can see and read about them in the pages of Scripture. Creation? Light? Is creation light? Yes. Does it shine in the darkness? Yes. Be very careful. I'm proving that it can't be what they say it is. What some say it is. Is it creation light? And is it the light of conscience? Okay, let's say it is for a moment. Verse 5. And the light of creation shined in darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. That is not true. The darkness totally and fully comprehends the light of creation. They choose to rebel against the Creator. Romans chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 says repeatedly that the truth was made known to them and they understood it so that they are without excuse. Does that mean they couldn't comprehend it? No, it means they could comprehend it and they wouldn't submit to it. And that's what's wrong with our nation. So see, it can't be creation. Okay, what about conscience? Romans chapter 2. Isn't it something? Paul, as soon as he starts writing, leaps in and helps explain John chapter 1, the first five verses in his first two chapters. Conscience. Is conscience a light? It's called the candle of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 20 and 27. Oh, so that means it existed before Jesus came to earth? Oh yeah, just as much as it existed afterwards. Is, does conscience shine and accomplish no good? Wrong. The Gentiles are going to be held accountable by their consciences when they stand before God because they didn't have the law of God in writing like the Jews because God wrote it in their hearts and minds. That's why all nations of the earth have had laws against murder. Where do you think that came from? How did they know the sixth commandment since they had never read this? Because the Bible was only given to the Jews. 
Psalm 147, 19 and 20. And the Bible wasn't given to the Jews until 2,500 years after creation. Why were their laws written before that by Gentile nations? Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, and so forth. Where do they get it from? Because the light of conscience was shining in the darkness, and the darkness most definitely comprehended it. But what light has shined in the darkness that wasn't comprehended? The light of the gospel. The light of the Lord Jesus Christ. The light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If you don't think I'm taking enough time, I told you where to go. And I'll be happy to spend as much time as you need. The light shineth in darkness. Verse 5. That's the darkness of depraved men. It's the light of the gospel. It's the light of Christ. He's the light of the world. And the darkness comprehended it not. There's no one in the world apart from having been given life and light that would ever comprehend the Lord Jesus Christ. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Even if it's the Holy Spirit presenting Christ to the natural man, he will not receive it. He will not comprehend it. Let's, let's read that verse in its entirety. The natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Receiveth know, and discern. Do you know what a synonym is for those words? To comprehend. So we, we know what's being talked about here. But because it's a prologue, he's just throwing some things out without full explanations. Rejoice, brethren. If you were up here and I was asking questions, I, I could, or you could to me, tear you up in verse 4, in verse 5, in verse 7 and in verse 9. It's important for us to let the verbs dictate the extent of the noun of the men or the all men or the world or the every man by the context of the verses around it and by the fact that this is a prologue introducing the book. You say, but that's just you telling us that because John didn't say, let me get my prologue over with first. Okay, really? You don't think he did? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. And that's, do you know what, how that sounds? Now go to verse 19. Go to verse 19. And this is the record of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, now are we starting to get some details? Are we getting a whole boatload of details? We've, we haven't had any of these details mentioned to us, except the name John. And you start reading down through here and there's just a boatload of details and it's that way for the rest of the book. Because these first 18 verses are introducing the overriding theme. Paul did things similarly with an opening passage, a preamble of his epistles that would explain where he was going to go giving glory to God. And that's what we have here. I want to uh, jump ahead There's to get to uh, verse... Let's go all the way to verse... Uh, well, we'll go to 7 because we should spend a moment at 7. Verse 7. Last Lord's Day, I preached to you verses 6 through 8, though we hardly spent any time on verses 7 and 8. I had a great deal of pleasure preaching to you from verse 6 that his name was John. John equals grace. And that is precious to know that because John is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Jehohanan. Jehoshua. Jehovah is gracious. And, and what is... What does John want to keep saying about Jesus in verse 15 of John 1? 
Verse 16, of his fullness have all we received and grace for grace. How about verse 17? This is John the Baptist speaking. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Look at grace in verse 17. Look at grace in verse 16. Look at grace and truth in verse 14. John equals grace in the definition of his name. But he wasn't just John, he was John the Baptist, and we never want to be ashamed of being Baptists. And we remember we we looked at that word just a little bit. It's a transliterated word, not translated. If the Greek word baptizo had been translated, because there wasn't an English word baptism, so they just brought baptizo over into our language, it would have been, remember, dipped, plunged, submerged, immersed, if it had been translated. But then it would be John the Dipper, John the Immerser, John the Submerger, John the Plunger. I don't like that one. But it's John the Baptist. And sometimes just John Baptist. Never be ashamed of being a Baptist. And for those of you with the name John, don't be ashamed of being John a Baptist. It's wonderful. Jesus was a Baptist and so was Mary. They were all Baptists. All the apostles were Baptists. There were no Methodists, Lutherans, Episcopalians, Church of England, or Roman Catholics. They were all Baptists. Thank you, Lord. Verse 7. The same came for a witness. This is John the Baptist came for a witness of Jesus Christ to bear witness of the light. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. The light of the world. The light of His people. The light of believers. And how does anyone believe on the light? They're given life in order to believe on the light. That all men through Him might believe. You think John came so that all men... And what do you you want to put as the uh, intention or meaning of the words all men in John 1-7? Did John the Baptist come for you? No. Did John the Baptist come for Cain? Or was he already in eternal darkness? Did John the Baptist come for Hitler? That all men through him might believe? Balaam? Janice Joplin or Cher? No, no, and no. He came for all kinds of men that went out to the River Jordan to be baptized by Him. Let me do this quickly. You say, you just put a change on the Word of God. It says all men, and you said all kinds of men. I've heard you before ridicule false versions of the Bible because they changed 1 Timothy 6.10 from... All to all kinds. Okay, I want, to, I want to explain that to you. I don't want to change God's words because I want the internal integrity of the Bible that we have right now to be able to define my words. Right. And when you change even one verse, you change the intent, internal integrity of the Word of God so that I can no longer properly interpret it by having cross-references that tell me what a word means. Are you trying to tell me that it should be read? I'm telling you it can be read. All kinds of men, men of all kinds. When it says all men might believe, you know that all men didn't believe, so it's not the secret will of God because it didn't happen. You know it wasn't the revealed will of God because the Jews didn't, the Jewish leadership didn't believe. They mocked John the Baptist. Here's the verse, here's one of the examples that we want to remember. Before I get to that one, here's my favorite one. And some of you have heard this before. 1 Corinthians 9.22 says this, and it uses all three times in one verse. Do you think it might have some help for us? 
Paul said, I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. So when someone says to me, the word all means all, and that's all, all means. I respond by saying, I deny that. I deny that horrible doctrine. I deny that terrible doctrine that Paul was a practicing sodomite. Well, why would you say that Paul was a practicing sodomite? Why are you accusing me of saying Paul was a practicing sodomite? Because you said all means all, and that's all all means. Because Paul said, I have made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. So if you're going to make all mean all things without exception, then Paul was a practicing sodomite to save the sodomites. Absurd. He was only a few things for a few men that he might save some. What were the few things? To those that are under the law, I was under the law. To those without law, I was without law. To those that were weak, I was weak. It's all stated right in context. Do you know why we're slaves to context? Because every word you say, every word you write, you want everybody that hears it or reads it to put it in context. Or we get very mixed up and confused. So I love 1 Timothy, 1 Corinthians 9.22. Now here's a, here's another one. Here's here's the best example. The love of money is the root of all evil. First Timothy six ten. Keep this in mind. The love of money is the root of all evil. Did Adam eat the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil because Eve paid him? Mark, I love you, brother. Mark's nodding. Yes, she did pay him. But it wasn't cash. Brother, that's, that's too sharp for me. You hold those later and write me by email. Um, amen! He, she did pay him. You know what he means. What others did David commit adultery with Bathsheba? I shouldn't use that example either, because Mark's going to nod his head yes. Um, there isn't money involved in most sins. But it says... The love of money is the root of all evil. How should we understand that clause? The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Now, when you hand me a false Bible version that has already made that change inside it, I lose, you lose, and the Bible loses internal integrity to show us examples of God using the word all without the word kind, but intending the word kind. Are you with me on that? So we scream and we shout and we hate and we burn and we throw in shredders those false Bibles that add the word kind, though when we preach we add the word kind because we want the Holy Spirit's choice of words that He can use the word all and intend the word kind but not put it there. So that I can use it to compare it to verses like this and to like 1 Corinthians 9.22 that I gave you about Paul's evangelistic efforts. Do you understand that? The same came for a witness to bear witness to the light that all kinds of men through him might believe. Who were those all kinds of men that the context is going to tell us? The children of God. The children of God. You say, is there any more in your out? Yeah. Yeah, there's more in the outline. Verse 9. Okay, let's get to verse 9. Let's get past John the Baptist. John the Baptist is verses 6 through 8. Verse 8 says, He was not that light, 
John wasn't the light of the world. Jesus was, but was sent to bear witness of that light. John the Baptist was to prepare the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. John was a light. John 5.35. Ryan, you told me you read John 5 just a couple of days ago. You should have read John 5.35 that says, He was a burning and shining light. John the Baptist was. But he wasn't this light. You know, he, he was burning. He was out there eating grasshoppers, locusts, and wild honey, and had a camel hair all over him, and a leather girdle, and wild man out in the Judean wilderness. He was a burning and a shining light. When you came to hear him preach, he did not have good pulpit manners. And when the Pharisees came, he was not loving and kind and nice to them, unless you want to count loving, kind, and nice as blasting them for their hypocrisy and their sins and telling them that Jesus Christ was only 40 years away from burning them up. That's how he preached. So he was a burning and a shining light, but he was not the light of the world that John wants us to know about. You know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't talk about Jesus as the light of the world. John does. That was the true light. Verse 9. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Here we go again. Now we've got every man. He lights every man. What are we going to do with that? Is this the light of conscience? Is this the light of providence? Is this the light of creation? Or is this the light of life? Are we going to let the words every man drive our interpretation of the lighting of these men? Or are we going to let the lighting in context drive our understanding of the words every man? For all the reasons I've already given you this morning, we understand that there's a lighting going on which lighteth every man. He didn't offer light to every man. He lighted every man. That cometh into the world. Who are these people that come into the world that got lit up by the life of light? The children of God. Are they in context? Absolutely. They're in verses 11 through 13. We're only two verses away. They're right there. Does the rest of the Gospel of John confirm exactly the the construction that I'm putting on his words here? The rest of the Gospel of John, does he always point out that, that he that believeth is passed from death unto life and shall not. That, that order and priority is more important to John than any other New Testament writer, including Paul. Because in his gospel and in his first epistle, he is always putting life and regeneration and being born again first before faith, belief, and response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're letting big context and the immediate context drive us. Otherwise, you're going to end up with what is the light that lighteth every man without exception. See, there's two, you can say all kinds of men without distinction, or you can say every man without exception. If you want to make this every man without exception in verse 9, tell me about the light. What is the light? He doesn't offer it to them. He doesn't just shine it on them. He lights them. Right. Are there some men in the Bible that God hath shined with the same authoritative command as let there be light and has shined the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ into their hearts? Yeah. That is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6, our, our fantastic reading. I'm, by, I'm, not, I'm not turning you to it right now because of time. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, If our gospel be hid, can't comprehend it, darkness, 
If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine into them. But God hath shined in our hearts. What a difference! The difference maker is the Lord. The difference maker is Jesus Christ giving life, eternal life, vital life, so that we see the light, we love the light, we go to the light. If Jesus Christ does not give us life to go to the light, what does John 3, 19 through 21 tell us that every man will do? He will not go to the light because he hates the light, because the light exposes his evil, that they are sinful. But we will go to the light because the light exposes that our actions are wrought in God. John chapter 9. Jesus cured, healed the man born blind. At the end of that chapter, the last three verses of that chapter, Jesus made a statement about, I came into this world that the seeing might become blind and the blind might see. The Pharisees said, are we blind? What's the short answer? Amen. The the longer answer is that he explained there in the last three verses, Jesus didn't come to light every man. Are you with me? He didn't come to light every man without exception. He came to light every kind of man and every child of God that cometh into the world, but he came to blind some men. And he said so in John 9. Now see, once we've read through the Gospel of John and we remember some of these things that I'm reminding you of, we come back to the prologue and it's like falling off a log. Right. Prologue and log. <laughs> Verse 9. Verse 10. Is every child of God that comes into the world lit up by the life and the light of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. Is their level of conscious knowledge different? Absolutely. But does he make a difference in their lives? He sure does. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and that's how he lights them up, by giving them life. That's how we understand that ninth verse about the true light. Verse 10. He was in the world. The world, it's the last word of verse 9. It's the uh, fifth word of verse 10. We have it three times in verse 10, and once in verse 9. We won't encounter it again until verse 29. But we've got it four times right here, and in each of these cases, it means the earthly state of human existence. It's not difficult. It's how we typically use the word world. He was in the world. He was in the place of earthly existence of human mankind. He he, he was in the world. You know, I wrote you this in your preparatory, and it just, it, it overwhelms me. The Lord of glory was in the world. In the beginning was the Word. The Word of God was in the world. And the Word was with God. The Word was in the world. And the Word was God. The Word was in the world. And all things were made by Him. The Creator Word of God was in the world. He came to earth. God was manifest in the flesh. Emmanuel. God with us. Incredible. Unbelievable. You want to talk about history? What do you learn in your history class? Who discovered Bolivia? We don't need Bolivia. It doesn't matter who discovered Bolivia. God was on earth in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was in the world. What a terrible indictment of humanity. What a terrible indictment of you and me for our blind ignorance of God's Son by nature. The Word 
was in the world in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, clearly pointed out by John the Baptist. Behold the Lamb of God. He is the Son of God. You know, that wasn't very good for John's ministry. You know what happened when John would say things like that? Do you know what we're going to learn in John 1? When John would say things like that about Jesus, what would happen to John's disciples? They'd start following Jesus. So it wasn't good for his ministry. But was John happy? Amen. Oh yeah, he said, I must decrease and he must increase. Right. This, this just overwhelms me. I'm sorry that I'm a little hung up right now on the first clause of verse 10 because it's not getting me to verse 13. <coughs> but he was in the world. That glorious being that John saw when he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day on the Isle of Patmos, he was in the world. My Lord and my God, Thomas's words to him, he was in the world. The centurion, truly, this man was the Son of God. He was in the world. The eternal, unbegotten God that created all things, visited and dwelt on earth. This is first, maybe the greatest fact of the great mystery of godliness in 1 Timothy 3.16 for it says, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. God came down and took on a human body on earth. Consider what happened to the Judean skies when the angels announced it to some shepherds. Was it a pretty impressive presentation? Did the sky rip open and there was a whole heavenly choir there singing praises and glory to God in the highest for what he had done on earth and what was lying in a manger over in Bethlehem? He was in the world. I don't want to go on. We should quit right now. He was in the world. He came to us. Do you know how many of us were going to him? Do you know how many of us were asking him to come? To visit us? I mean, apart from his life and light. He came to us. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for your grace. Jesus Christ, full of grace. And of His fullness have all we received. How much do you think was missing when Jesus Christ came to earth? The fullness of the Godhead was in Him bodily. Of His fullness have all we received. Who's received? The few that He's made a difference in by giving life to see the light of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He was in the world and the world was made by Him. We only existed because He had created us. Irrational creatures, rational creatures, inanimate matter, all of it was created by Him, for Him, upheld by Him, and consists by His mighty power. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Every creature had been created by Him. The whole sphere of earthly existence for men had been created by the Messiah. How can rational creatures, rational means you can think, how can rational creatures living on this earth ignore and reject their Creator? Because the light shined in darkness and the darkness comprehended it not. We were rebels against God's creation, rebels against God's providence, rebels against the conscience that He put in us, and most of all, rebels against anything about His Son that was going to tell us how we had to live our lives. He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. It says the world knew him not. There were lots of people that knew him. Did the writer of this gospel know him? Did John the Baptist know him? 
see again, look what we have to do with the word world. It's not everyone in the world that knew him not. It's only those left in their darkness that knew him not. Those that didn't have the life of light and the light of life. However you want to phrase it, John 8, 12 says it is the light of life. Because you have to have the light first before you can see and believe the light. This is incredible to consider for me. The worldly men had no idea of God on earth. They think that they have figured out a few things because it's all just a bunch of smoke. Smoke and mirrors and lies and hallucinations. I love to write you a few days ago and, and tell you about how reading their scientific documents about how, how they have figured out what happened 145 billion years ago and it, it happened about 120 mil, uh, billion light years away from Earth, but they can't find MH370 over there in a little pond called the Indian Ocean. Yeah, right. right, right. They had a mountain of electronic equipment there for the airline. Everybody had one or two cell phones on their purse and they had laptops throughout. And uh, the, th the thing is flying up in the air, you know, it's visible with binoculars. And uh, it's just all around, and there's noise being made, and you know, they can't find it. But they can tell you what happened 145 billion years ago, 120 billion light years away from Earth. R right. You know, it took them 10 years to find Osama bin Laden. Do you know how small this planet is? Do you know how many satellites they have up there that can see something while they hallucinate about things they've never seen, cannot hypothesize, and have never duplicated in a laboratory? They're idiots. And that's what John, 10 is, John 1, 10 is teaching. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. Jesus would say, you can figure out by looking at the setting sun or the rising sun and tell what kind of a day it's going to be today, but you cannot figure out that the Messiah is here on earth, though he did countless miracles and had prophecies directing us right to him. Some did know, love, obey, and die for Jesus Christ. Were they in the world? He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. But they did know him, love him, believed on him, and died for him. So we want to be careful with these words. There were some that God made a difference in, and he's about to tell us how. So we're arriving late at the train station like usual, because we're getting closer to my favorite verse. I remember as a, as a young boy, married to a young girl, didn't have any money, but when I found out that John Bunyan, when I found out that John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, his deathbed sermon was from John 1.13, I bought his three-volume set of the works of John Bunyan. Had to have it. Had to have Sorry, Rachel. That was one of those weeks that you didn't get fruit cocktail from Kroger because I had to have the works of John Bunyan because on his deathbed he preached his final sermon not from John 1.12, from John 1.13. I'd lift his stone up, tip it over, and dig down six feet to hug a man that preaches his last sermon, not from John 1.12, but from John 1.13. Right. Sorry, that cost me more time at the train station. John 1.11, he came unto his own. This is the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God, coming to the Jewish nation. He told his apostles, I am not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. His own brothers and sisters didn't believe on him. We're going we're gonna to encounter that in John chapter 7. The brothers of Jesus did not believe on him until after his resurrection. That's 33 years. How many times did he sin? They didn't believe on him. How many miracles did he do? 
They told him, you need to be up here in Jerusalem where we're going so you can show off some of your miracles, John 7. But he didn't, they didn't believe on him. But after his resurrection, they did. Amen. Do you know that you don't have to go very far and all of a sudden you're reading about James, the Lord's brother? <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Amen. James, the Lord's brother, got the life of light to see the light of the world that he lived with for 30 years. Thank you, Lord. He came into his own, his own received him not. Look at this historical summary that the Apostle John is giving us about the arrival of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Word of God made flesh on planet Earth. He came to the Jewish nation. He was born in Bethlehem. He was raised in Nazareth. He, He walked the Sea of Galilee. He walked around Galilee and Samaria and Judea. He came to his own and his own received him not. But, thank you Lord for inspired disjunctives, but as many as received him. So notice, there were Jews that did receive him, but verse 11 says they didn't receive him. Because we have to constantly rightly divide these words. He came unto his own and his own received him not. Was it all of his own that didn't receive him? If you just looked at 11, you would say yes. But because you look at 12 in context and you have a but, there were some exceptions to his own that did receive him. It's historical. So everything is in the past tense. He came, past tense, unto his own. And his own received, past tense, him not. But as many as received him, past tense. Thank you, Lord, for these verses. You know I've loved them for a long time, and there are brothers sitting here and sisters sitting here that have loved them for a long time. We thank you for opening our eyes to see the beauty of John 1, 11 through 13. But as many as received him, so we have past tense, past tense, past tense. 2 in verse 11, 1 in verse 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he power. That's past tense. To them gave he power to become the sons of God. He came into his own, and his own received him not, but some received him. And to those that received him, he gave power. The received is past tense. The gave power is past tense. We'll spend more time in the next couple of weeks here or there on these verses because they're too full of matter for us. But for right now, let's just get through them and rejoice in them. Verse 12, but as many as received him, he's still in the past tense because he's giving a historical account of what happened when Jesus Christ came to earth the first time. He came into his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God. There were some that were regenerated and changed by the mighty power of God, given the privilege, authority, and liberty of being the sons of God by Jesus Christ. And it's all past tense so far. Do you you see that? This is important. He came, past tense, verse 11. His own received him not, past tense. 12, but as many as received him, received is past tense. To them gave, past tense. Even to them that believe on his name. The word even is an adverb that tells us exactly what it meant to have received him. But notice what letter is missing from the word believe. Unbelievable to see believe without a D. Why doesn't it have a D? Does received have a D? It's in verse 11. Does it have a D? Does receive have a D in verse 12? Why doesn't believe have a D? 
because it's not the word of God to have a D on believe in John 1, 12, because it totally changes it. Listen, he came unto his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. Is that different? Oh, is that different? Thank you, Lord, for the little letters. Do single letters mean something to us in the Bible? Does Galatians 3.16 tell us we ought to care about single letters? Who is the seed of Abraham? The Lord Jesus Christ. He saith not seeds as of many, but seed as of one. In Galatians 3.16, that we are supposed to argue from single letters like that. And right here we have the word believe. Present tense. Present tense. And that little adverb even means what I'm talking about about these people that didn't receive him, these people that did receive him, did receive, has a D. It's just how I'm wording it. They received him with a D. Even to them that believe on his name. He is shifting into the present tense because what's his purpose for writing? That those that believe on the name of the Son of God might know that they have eternal life and that they might believe on the name of the Son of God and there's no D in either case. John 1.12 but as many as received him, past tense, to them gave he past tense power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I don't need to go any further. Do you know what we've already established? Which came first? Believing or the power to become the sons of God? From that verse alone. Gave power is past tense. Believe is present tense. John shifted to the present tense of believe, even though he, he left the past tense of gave power because the power was given before we ever believed. Right. Now we know that from verse 13 because we read the book before. But without even getting to verse 13, it's in verse 12. Does verse 12 end with a period? Nope. Why is it usually... Have you ever heard anybody outside of our church, or outside of a church like ours, have you ever heard anybody read John 1, 12 and 13 together, or do they just read John 1, 12? For those of you that went to Bible school, Joy Club, Sunday school, and everything else, when you memorized John 1.12, did you ever memorize John 1.13 with it? Thank you, brother. Now we're seeing on the same page. We never got 13! We were just given 12! We were never, we were never, ever, ever had things explained to us like received was past tense, gave was past tense, but believe was present tense which means it comes after the power given. The order of verbs in a sentence is meaningless. The order of verbs is meaningless. It is the tense of verbs. Can Can you dip really deep into your training, your education, that lofty exercise of your mind that you went through years ago? It is the tense of verbs. Look at 1 John 4.15. Henry, I know that you smiled the last time we got into this, and I appreciate it very much. You're, you're an encouragement to me. But I want to show you the order of verbs doesn't matter. It's the tense of verbs. In grammar, in English, in other languages, verbs have tenses, meaning when that action was performed. It doesn't matter the order of the verbs. It's the tense of the verbs. Guess what? In John 1.12, we've got the order and the tense just right. The gave power to become the sons of God was first, then the present tense believing. 
both in order, gave, then believe, and tense, past tense, present tense. Don't get bored. I was bored in English in school, so I've had to spend the rest of my life trying to catch up for the sixth grade. I was like Jethro Bodine, except he was smarter than I was. 1 John 4.15 Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. Notice the order of verbs. Confessing Jesus Christ comes first in the sentence, right? Are you with me? We're talking about order of verbs. So confessing Jesus is the Son of God comes first, then God dwells in a person if we go by the order of verbs. But we don't go by the order of verbs in English or other languages. We go by the tense of the verbs. The verb tense, which tells us when the verb took place, when that action took place. Now watch. Whosoever shall confess. What tense is confessing there? Future, because it has the word shall attached to it. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him. What is dwelleth? Present tense, right now. God's dwelling in the man that sometime in the future, Brother David, do you love the Word of God? It's right there. You know, we were supposed to learn all this stuff when we were younger, but we have to go back and retrace steps, but it's exciting. The order isn't the key, but in John 1.12 we have both. The order and the tense. He gave, believe. Past tense, present tense. One, two. Thank you, Lord. Back to John chapter 1. These are verses that you want to remember. 1 John 4.15 is beautiful to show that the order of verbs is not important. It's the tense of verbs. If you show me a person that confesses that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, I can tell you God was dwelling in him before he ever made that confession from that verse because of the verb tenses. Dad, isn't it exciting? You're still excitable. You're going to turn 86 in a few months. That's wonderful. An encouragement to me. Hear the train whistle. Verse 13. I've just been waiting. I've been waiting. You've been waiting. Is he ever going to get to it? Is he going to tell us it's next Sunday? Verse 13. Which were born. Oh, Which were born. Plural. Passive voice. Perfect tense. An action done in the past that is perfected before the present. It is called the present perfect. It is plural because which were, those are plural verb, which were born, they're passive because it's something happening to them, not something that they're doing. And it's the perfect tense, which means that it is a perfected action before the present tense. We have a whole lot of those in the Bible. We have a whole lot of them in John and 1 John of the perfect tense, and we're going to get to them at another time. I'm just asking you right now to look at it, and you already know that it's true, because we have believe, present tense, ending verse 12 and verse 13, starting right off with, which were born. Were born means that they were born before they did the present tense believing at the end of verse 12. And uh, the rest of verse 13 is going to prove that by telling you how they didn't get born. Which were born. They were born again by the power of God before they did their believing in verse 12. Which were born, not of blood. Were there those in the Bible? This is my favorite verse in the Bible about regeneration, being born again, being quickened. This verse is more definitive and has more detail than any other verse about being born again. This verse condemns and annihilates decisional salvation. Right here. 
You know, our forefathers have had to fight a great many centuries against baptismal regeneration, but we've had to fight against decisional regeneration. But decisional regeneration is destroyed by this verse. In no uncertain terms, which were born. How were they born and how are they not born? There's three nots and there's one positive. Three ways they weren't born and one way they were born. The first of the ways they weren't born, they weren't born by blood. Who had a problem by thinking that you were born again, became a child of God by blood? The Jews that Jesus and John preached to. You know what they thought? Abraham is our father. That's all, that's all they would say when it came to salvation. Abraham is our father. Think about that. Because we're the children of Abraham, we're the children of God. And what does Paul say in Romans chapter 9? They which are the children of Abraham are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. You know what kind of heresy Paul was preaching if you were a Jew? You know what kind of wonderful truth he was preaching if you're us? Abraham is our father. Jesus is going to teach in John, if Abraham were your father, you wouldn't be trying to kill me. Uh, But that's not how he ended. He said, ye are of your father. Don't mess with the Lord Jesus Christ about regeneration. Ye are of your father the devil. Don't talk to me about Abraham. I don't need you or Abraham to praise me. These stones will cry out and praise me without you. Right. I can raise up children to Abraham from these rocks over here. This is what, We're going to get this. I can raise up children to Abraham out of these stones. You know what? He did it. Do you know, do you know where the stones reside? In... Amen were the stones. Amen. He's raised up children to Abraham. Galatians 3.29 So then, if ye be Christ, ye are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. Whatever God said to Abraham, it's ours. And we're about to get it, Charlie. You and I are not 30 and 32 anymore. Thank you, Lord. Verse 13 Which were born, not of blood. It has nothing to do with race, Parents, genealogy, relation to Abraham, relation to anyone else. Blood can't get it done. Genes can't get it done. No genetic pool. Nor of the will of the flesh. Nor of the will of the flesh. Lord, you're just too easy. It's just too easy for you to put that here. Nor of the will of the flesh. Becoming a child of God has nothing to do with your natural will or your natural choice. That's all you have by nature is flesh. Uh, John 3, 6 is going to teach us that which is born of the flesh is flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So until you're born again, you're only flesh. And the only time you have the spiritual man is after you're born again. So the big difference is being born again. But before you're born again, you're only flesh. And it says here, it ain't by your flesh. They can preach all they want. They can have as many as they want. They can be as loud as they want. Their praise bands can even be nice sometimes. This is the truth of God's word. Which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Thank you, Lord. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 9, Paul wrote, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it is not of him that willeth, nor of him that runneth. Four wills of God in verse 15, one will of man in verse 16 of Romans 9. The wills of God are the way that it happens. The will of man is excluded. It says, not by the will of the flesh, 
because our will is not involved in being born again because before we're born again, our will is entirely opposed and anti-God. He has to change us first. It's his will. For as the Father raiseth up the dead and quickeneth them, even so the Son quickeneth whom he will. John 5, 21. We're going to get there. There's no apostle. There is no, there's no gospel. There is no book of the Bible more careful about putting regeneration in front of faith in the gospel of John. And guess where they go for their little gospel in a nutshell? John. If they would just read John 1.13 before they got to 3.16, but that's too many verses when you have a limited mind. Sorry, David. I mean, it's just the way it is. They'll just jump right into 3.16, but they won't start right here at 1.13. If you read 1.13, you wouldn't be trying to get someone to invite Jesus into their heart because Jesus is going to have to go into their heart by sovereign monergistic power. Right. Monergism means no cooperation with man. It's a modern buzzword for the last 30 years about how regeneration takes place. It either takes place synergistically, cooperation between God and man, or monergistically, God only. Guess what we are? Monergists. Which were born! Not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Before you're born again, all you have is the will of flesh. If you're trying to get someone to get saved by trying to talk to their flesh in order for them to be born again, it is excluded by this text and a whole lot of others that confirm the depravity of man. we got to go on. Nor of the will of man. That is someone else doing it for you because it's all by the obedience of one. It is all by the power of one. This is typically... And there's far more people that believe this than believe decisional regeneration. There's far more people that believe this nor of the will of man. It's parents taking their children to a priest to get the priest to do something to them before they have an act of will in order for them to be born again and become a child of God. Why does a Catholic why do Catholic parents take their little baby to a Catholic priest to get water applied in the form of a cross in their forehead so that they can become a child of God? But it says we're born and become children of God, not by the will of man. It is right. not a father. It is not a mother. It's not an uncle. It's not a grandparent. They, they nominate godparents for them. When they have these ceremonies, they put that little baby in a christening gown, they stuff salt in its mouth, they chase the devil out the left door, and about 60 other little man-made traditions, and they apply water, a holy chrism to this poor little kid, and they think that it makes them a child of God, and standing around in this little circle are godparents who are assigned to bring up this little child in case the parents die in the Roman Catholic religion, or Lutheran. Or others. Godparents are picked. And see, so there's these other people involved that assist, cooperate, and help becoming a child of God. And look what it says. It's not the will of the flesh. That's you. And it's not the will of man. No one else can help you. Who can help you? But of God. But of God. How are we born again? How do we ever receive Christ? What made the difference that we would believe the Jesus that we've talked about for the last... 110 minutes because the life came into us that brought the light to believe and receive Jesus Christ. He gave us the power to become the sons of God because of that change in us. We believe on His Son. We were born again by God. Not by blood, not by the will of the flesh, not by the will of man. This is John 1, 
1 through 13. I love all of you. I hope that you love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I hope I love him as well. Let's help each other to love him more, obey him better, and serve him more perfectly until he comes for us, and he is coming, and then we shall see him as he is. And guess what? We'll be like him. We'll be like him. That's what's going to happen. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word.